Welcome to the Instinctive Influencers Podcast, a show where influence becomes one of your tools for success. Now, here are your hosts, <laughs> Brian Weber and Ed Haley. Hi, I'm Brian. And I am Ed. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. We just had a whole conversation we did about have a whole this conversation. Like, so So I what are we gonna we, go with? We're going with it. No, so here's the thing, right? So I figured this is 101, 101 episodes. I feel like familiar with our fans now. And uh, usually people I'm more familiar with, such as you, uh, I actually always go by James. I really don't go by Ed. That was my father's, is my father's name. And uh, yeah, no, I've never really used it except in a professional environment when I was a Mm. civilian selling furniture. I used to go by Ed, but yeah, it's super rare. So I decided despite the intro that uh no i am james I hey so hey so first thing let's start this off with i'm a little disappointed because (laughs) i always thought you went by ed and now i've got to make a change and this is going to be a difficult change my friend so but that's okay i'm not i'm not i'm not worried about it uh i i know where we stand uh and one day we'll tell the story of why we stand there so uh, we always bring it up but we never talk about it right (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, wow, man, 101 episodes. Last episode we did, we did with our wives. So and much fun. It was, and, and you know, listeners may not, they may feel like, well, what? What's well, we think we go bigger about it? But it's like that is big to us. Like to have, big. yeah, to have our wives on there and to be able to talk about those lessons and to get. To really to get intimate in a sense, if you think about it, like we literally, it was a conversation. It wasn't, and it was one of those, it was a fly on the wall. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was hoping we'd get from it. Um, and it was just nice. It was nice seeing your spouse and then have my wife involved. It was, I enjoyed it, man. But we are at 101. And 101 <laughs> on my shoulder. Yeah. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, like, <laughs> most of the stuff in this room right to include what's behind me is 101 stuff and it's because i spent 16 of 23 years there yeah. like like that's a long time to spend it on but it's there's so much heritage so much i mean and we're gonna get into a great topic today ed that i think oh, is man. it's it, it's definitely another leadership lesson from history but it's about the one-on-one and it's that's that is one of those organizations that just stands up there uh and it, we may have some 82nd guys listening we may have some first cap guys that's okay however yeah i mean this is 101 i'm i'm another one of those um yes no, it is it is different and i'm excited that i'm going back there um and then i i actually have to change uh probably have to change my uh prior wartime service patch because what i've always said is i wear the first cav because that's where i spent the most of my career Uh oh but it's gonna be it's gonna be it's it's gonna be a close call i'm pretty sure now when i retire i'll have spent most of my career in the 101st yeah (laughs) exactly no hey i i i there's no way that I could like literally physically no way I could spend more time any other location the rest of my <laughs> career that I'm allowed in the army. Like there's no way. It's just it's physically impossible. So it's forever in my heart. It's forever my home. Yeah. Forever my place. And we'll move back there. You know? Um it's 
there's a lot there's a lot uh you know to talk about today um the one thing I wanted to hit upon, I love your hat, D-Day hat. That's pretty cool. It, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One, one you, also. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> this is funny. Uh, I'm getting ready for the show, and I'm like, you know what? I need to put something on that's appropriate. You know, like, you know, one. <laughs> did you? Here's the deal. I own nothing that I can wear that's one-on-one unless it's a uniform. Oh, no. no. I, yeah, I, I have. I um, have no T-shirts. I have no hats. Really? No joke, man. I... That's so, it just feels weird. But in the closet that's literally right there that has the printer in it and, and that's where I keep uniforms and stuff. I have, I keep, I don't know if you do this. I keep a uniform, like all the different ones we've worn um, yep. throughout the year. So I have like all the wartime ones, you know, like everything from BDU to desert to chocolate AC, chips. Yeah, all the, yeah. No, I didn't have chocolate chips. I'm not that old. <laughs> but every one of them, every single one of them, except for one, has the one-on-one patch on the sewn on because the one I don't is when I was with four four ID last year. Uh, but it's just it's just it was weird. I'm like, how do I not have <laughs> any one-on-one stuff? But I know you do. You have more than I do. I, I have a few, but also so we used to play in the uh, the commanding generals monthly golf tournaments, the payday scrambles, and you would win gift certificates. So I have like some Cole Park golf course uh, shirts with the eagle and the on the sleeve there. And then of course I've been to where we're going to talk about today to Bastogne and I've oh, yeah. been to Normandy. And my wife just mentioned today that we still need to make it up to Arnhem, which uh, is also another big one-on-one location. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. Yeah, I, I have a, I have a few things of old Abe. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So sad news. Uh, you brought up Cole park. Um, they closed the restaurant, man. That's what I was told. What? That was our eatery. The catfish? Yeah, man. The the joint, you know, uh they had the oh. uh they had the the awesome buffet there. We have some friends back home. Uh they well, he's a retired star major. Um and they they go up they live in Dixon and they go up all the time and he said they went up there and they said that the the restaurant was closed. I'm hoping it's a temporary thing. I really yeah. do because that was a place to go. Uh, Cole Park Commons. Uh, if you're familiar with the the Clarksville area, the Fort Campbell area yeah. out there, listeners, <laughs> that was the place to go because you got a good meal for a good price. Southern Buffet. Oh, man. The oh. catfish there. The oh. catfish nuggets. <laughs> mm, man. I used, hey, man. When we, would go, we used to go there at lunch sometimes, and I would leave there, and I would think to myself, I don't know why I'm going back to work. I need a nap right now (laughs) every time we did like a farewell lunch when i was running the warehouse like that that was the destination man oh yeah 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 yeah. yeah. it didn't yeah that was the place and and i don't see and that's what i told michelle because michelle's the one that told me about it i'm like i don't see how that place could lose money and not be making money and i'm wondering if it's maybe just like a temporary thing because it might be a covid thing because it's hoping to right like yeah i don't know what the covid restrictions are yeah, in Kentucky, Tennessee, right now. So maybe it's a COVID yeah. thing. Um, I hope I'm it's only a COVID thing. Oh, oh my I'm wife hoping it's so. gonna be sad. Oh, yeah, she's yeah, gonna yeah. be it. She might, she might tear up. Because <laughs> <laughs> she marshaled there, right? Like she marshaled at the golf course, and her and her friend Tom used to go there all the time. Like, yeah, you know, a special and, place, man. Yeah. Special place. Yeah, oh, man, that's and I guarantee sad. you. 
I guarantee you, anybody that's listening, uh, they know exactly oh. the place because it's like that's the place to go if you yeah. if you got a quick, especially if you have a quick lunch break and you got to be back to work. And when we worked at the academy, like it was down the street, yeah, so we could zip there. over there. Yep. Man. Yeah. Well, that's sad. Yeah, I'm hoping. Yeah. I'm hoping it's. I'm hoping it's not true. I hope it's not true. Um, yeah, maybe they're renovating. Maybe they're making it better. Oh, maybe that's. Maybe that's what it is. I'm hoping so. <laughs> I'm hoping so. Yeah. Um, all right. Hey. So Ed, we're going to get into. We're going to talk a little bit about. Uh, we're going to do a. Uh, it's basically this is actually an article that we found. I don't remember if you found it. I found it. Um, actually, it took me a while to dig it up because I know we had emailed it back or we sent it back and forth messenger yeah. wise. <laughs> um, this is an article written by a gentleman by the name of Victor Prince. Um, and it's, it, it's titled seven leadership lessons from a battle of the bulge veteran 101st airborne division paratrooper. All right. Um, and, and it's, it goes over seven leadership lessons that this particular paratrooper learned <laughs> during his time with the one-on-one during his time at Bastogne in the battle of the bulge. Um, but before we get into that, it, I have to say, uh, and it's just just the precursor. All the opinions and stuff, whether it be in this article or you and I stating, it's all that of these individuals or us. Uh, yep. And it's not that of uh, the the U.S. Army, the U.S. government, or anything else. So we we only represent ourselves. Um, but this is an exciting article, wouldn't you say? It it, it is a good article, and uh, I mean, I've been blessed. I've been to Bastogne. Oh man, I want to go. I've been a number of times. Um, actually, it's one of those places that like. Because it's close enough for us that like we can literally wake up and say, "Hey, you want to go to Belgium for some waffles, or you want to go, <laughs> you want to go up there for some some lunch?" And it's like, "Yeah, let's go to Bastogne." And it's like, "Okay." So do they and just then also call the them beer. The beer is uh, delicious in, in Belgium. Do they call them Belgian waffles or just waffles? Belgian waffle. They play to us, especially in Bastogne. Bastogne's very Americanized. <laughs> is it? Um, yeah, yeah. Very. As a matter of fact, Brian. Funny thing. There is a hundred and first museum. In Bastogne. Oh, really? Yeah. It, 101st has its own museum there, and it's curated by Helen Patton. Oh. Tell the <laughs> listener, who is Helen Patton, my the man? The granddaughter of General George S. Patton. So Exactly. Um, there's a few museums there, but yeah, that's one of them is uh, the 101st has its own museum there. Um, so, And we're going to get into a lot of things that I'm just like, ah, every December they have this great big celebration and it's got to do with a famous response uh, during the Battle of the Bulge. But um, Belgium as a whole is really, it's a beautiful country. It's small. It's very uh, heavily French influenced. Um, so in that area, they speak German, they speak Belgian, they speak French, they speak English. Um, you know, so that's a good thing. My wife's French is not that great. Uh, being Canadian, it should be, but That's it's horrible. It's as, but she has mm. no, no. When we went to Belgium, uh, there's been a few times where her her French has paid off for us. So, okay. yeah. But yeah, yeah it, it's okay. it's a nice area, and, and the town is. Uh, yeah, I've done the tour. I've been to the barracks, and I've been to the foxholes. And anyway, let's move on. <laughs> no, 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 it, no. It's yeah. it's good to hear these things. Um, I was. I was talking with a friend yesterday. Had a long discussion. Really good, actually. Is a it's an episode I recorded yesterday with a friend, and um, it, I think it was either during the episode or before or after. You know, because we always we do the same thing. You and I we talk before. Oh yeah. We 
then we have conversations during, and then we have conversations. And sometimes I forget what is recorded and what's not. Um, <laughs> he was, and I was talking about it that with him. I was telling him, Hey, we're doing this episode. It's about fast stuff. And he was like, he was totally into it. He was like, Oh yeah. Both time my, my times in Germany, I went there and I, cause he's a one-on-one guy too, just like yeah. us. And, uh, he just, like he was excited. He said he's excited to hear this one. And he was a little upset that he didn't get to be on this, this episode that right episode. here. Yeah. I, I'll tell you, bro. It's the first place we went when we got here. Like, oh. it was, well, technically the second during the trip, we went to Luxembourg first because mm. at the military uh, cemetery in Luxembourg, that's where general Patton is buried with a lot of the soldiers who American soldiers killed during the battle of Bastogne or the battle mm. of the bulge. So we went there because it's in route, you know, and then we went to Bastogne yeah. after, um, after the cemetery. But yeah, well, that's, that's awesome, man. Um, yeah. I say, hey, we're going to get into this article. I, I want to kind of go over, uh, the preference of it, uh, kind of give an idea of where the author's coming from. Uh, so I was going to read these first couple paragraphs here just to kind of, so, so listeners understand and, and listeners, you can find this particular article. It was on LinkedIn, actually. So, and mm-hmm. that's a great source for a lot of good information. Um, I've, I've found, I've found so many awesome articles that I've shared throughout the years now uh, through LinkedIn. Uh, but so, it, like I said it earlier, it is written by Victor Prince. Um, and so here it is. It talks about at age ninety-six years of age. <clears throat> yeah, Dr. Get that. Frank Tanglerini. <laughs> what? I was waiting for you to pronounce his name. Tanglerini. That's what I, a Tanglerini, right? Would you call yeah. it that? Yeah. I just wanted, yeah, you did well. Frank Tanglerini <laughs> is still a busy man, 96 years old. He's still yeah. a busy man with the energy and memory of someone half his age. Uh, after getting his PhD from Stanford, he became a renowned theoretical psychiatrist. No. No. Oh, I'm sorry. I say I. It's the light. I'm not getting the right light. It's physicist, not psychiatrist. I, that, <laughs> I could really mess that up. Uh, who, who even has a physics concept named after him? This is, this crazy. We're talking about a soldier from World War II, who mm-hmm. later down the road, um, and, and he fought in one of the most amazing battles uh, of World War II uh, to understand anything. And he got. He's a physicist. He's a doctor. In, yeah. as a physicist that's crazy man um uh, da, da, da. he he's just finished a paper about the disagreement over the hubble constant which is a measure of how fast the universe is expanding now uh for fun he is also trying to learn italian on the side <laughs> well i mean this guy he sounds amazing huh yeah just for right. just for you know just for yeah. the heck of it i'm gonna learn yeah. italian <laughs> at ninety at, oh, at ninety six years old, right? yeah, that's that's the big thing. Uh, but in December nineteen forty four, Frank was just another twenty year old U.S. Army private. I remember those days. I, I don't think I was twenty though. Uh, as an engineer, <laughs> as an engineering student in college, Frank was accepted, uh, exempt from being drafted, yeah. but he volunteered to join the army anyway. That's that's that greatest generation stuff right there, Ed. Yep. Uh, he <laughs> volunteered for one of the most dangerous units, the 101st Airborne Division, the legendary Screaming Eagles. They had jumped into battle at Normandy and at Operation Marker Garden in the Netherlands, made famous in the film 
uh, a bridge too far. And uh, soldiers in the 101st would also be immortalized in HBO series Band of Brothers. Now, we've talked about this multiple. We've talked about that show multiple times, Ed, and how incredible that show is. And um, what makes the show so well, and we've we've lost a, a great number of these heroes, Ed. We, over the years uh, since that show came out. But what was so remarkable about it is I, I, I don't know how you felt about the show when it would open up. It always, always opened up with one the of interviews. them speaking. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't that like, yeah. that's the most moving part to me is those guys speaking on their experiences and going through. And then you get to see that. And they, not only did they speak up, they were also like on the side when they were making yeah. it saying, yep. Yeah, do it this way. No, don't do that. This is how this is done. And it's like, that was realistic, Ed, wouldn't you say? Yeah, and it's funny, too, because one of them I always remember because I spent so much time at Fort Drum, New York, is uh, he said that uh, whenever it would be cold after after his time oh. with the 101st, he was always think to himself, well, at least I'm not in Bastogne. <laughs> so, and, and the images and just, I mean... Unreal, unreal. Yeah, like yeah, it yeah, is. Yeah. So, um, uh, and the, the I don't know if you've ever got a chance to watch a bridge too far, but a bridge too far it has some inaccuracies, which any military movie uh, or yeah, show has inaccuracies. But a bridge too far is actually pretty good too, and it has a, a at the time. I mean, it has an all star cast. Uh, I believe Robert Redford might be in that one. I know Sean Connery's in it. Um, Michael Sean Kane Connery. It. Yeah, Michael Caine is in it. Um, but it, it's, it's, it's pretty good. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, um, so it's funny you brought up the Bastogne thing. Uh, I've throughout my years, I, and it was since, especially as, uh, that particular episode that you're talking about, yeah. I actually have a picture of McAuliffe and then his, his two beside <laughs> him holding up the sign like that. And I've either, I've had it in the office I worked in, or actually it's funny. It's downstairs in the garage gym. Uh, yeah, I remember you have it. Yep. And I keep it up there. And when it's, you know, it's too cold to work out or whatever, I look at that and I think to myself, the same exact terms is, yeah. at least it's not by stone. You know what? And I'll warm up and I'll figure it out and I'll get through this. And that was one of the reasons why I kept it in my office when we were instructors, because I actually, I enjoyed when people would ask me something about it. And yeah. then I would just go straight into that. And I'd be like, yeah, you know what? Uh, you may be having a hard time right now, but at least you're not in Bastogne. Go watch Band of Brothers. Yeah. Well, I actually, so I have on the corner of my desk at work, I have the figurine. It's a little statue of that picture. Really? Yeah. 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 I got it from the War Museum in Bastogne. Uh, but I want to sign. Because if after this wonderful career is over and I teach, I think it would be something cool to have as a history teacher is that, oh, that yes. yellow Bastogne, battered yep. Bastogne sign. Yep. I, I told my wife, I said, yeah, next time we go up there, I think I'm going to try to find, I'm sure the museum has it, and we get the sign and uh, yeah. purchase that. We have a magnet of it, but not the, but yeah, I do have, I definitely have McAuliffe standing there by the sign. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, if I'm not mistaken, didn't we have one in your hallway that you taught in as an instructor initially? Wasn't there a Bastogne sign yeah. there? Yeah. Yeah. It was the yeah. same one. Yeah. 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 All right. Wait, as we digress, because we're running down <laughs> these cat holes, uh, these uh, different type of rabbit holes. Um, Let me get out of the rabbit oh. hole. <laughs> After shipping to England in October 1944, he joined the 101st Airborne uh, and trained 
there in Hungerford uh, in parachuting. Frank finally made it to the rear lines in France in late 1944. He and his fellow soldiers were replacements for the 101st, who had taken <laughs> casualties over the months of fighting since D-Day in Normandy and in Holland. Frank had yet to see action. That all changed on the night of Sunday, December 17th. Frank still remembers a sergeant interrupting everyone's sleep to announce that the Germans' army had broken through the front lines in Belgium. They were told to get up because they were heading out uh, to join the fight in what would be known as Battle of the Bulge. Mm -hmm. Over 600,000 American troops would fight in the Battle of the Bulge, and it was the largest and bloodiest single battle fought by the U.S. in World War II. That's crazy craziness. What yeah, you got, Ed? So part of it, too, so the, you know, I know the article doesn't say it, but the significance of Bastogne. So Bastogne has been fought over many times throughout the course of history. It's been a few times. There's been instances of the Germans who, the Germans used the Ardennes several times in, in war, but right. they would avoid Bastogne. They would go around it. But the significance to Bastogne is it had five roadways that ran through it plus rail. So it was like a hub. Oh. So, yeah. So th with the Germans, originally when they first they start this thrust, right, because they're trying to make one last offensive, they're after the port of Antwerp because that's a significant port following D-Day for the U.S. to get supplies into oh. the theater. So they're after Antwerp and they make this thrust. But that was the significance of Bastogne and why it was like, Everybody was adamant. I mean, there's Hitler said, mm -hmm. you will not give up on Bastogne. He wouldn't let his guys fall back. Our guys were like, <laughs> we are not giving up, yeah. you know, yeah. and we're yeah, going to yeah, get yeah, into yeah. our guys not giving up. But oh, that kind of paints either. that picture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, they didn't. And and it's yeah. and it's funny how uh, how we learn like what they've done, uh, you know, through that entire battle. I mean, it's this, it's the smallest things that we may see as small, but we don't realize how critical, uh, the, the, the things were going on. Like it's, it's the things like no boots or no socks and boots, or, you know what I mean? Like those small things, they, they played a big role and, uh, guys wearing jump boots out there in the middle of the cold. We're talking in like really cold weather. And I yeah. don't know, uh, how many people out there have actually worn jump boots? But they're not—they're not insulated. They're—it's literally just a leather piece, and it's a hard leather, so you know you feel it. Yeah, it, it's crazy. And then, so with this, Brian, what's significant is, following Holland, the 101st is refitting. They're at a mm -hmm. place called Camp Mormillen, and right. they're refitting at the time that they get this call, and so they just go, and it's like people were on leave, people were in Paris on on you know pass. They were like, hey, we're going for what we got. Get on the trucks. First of all, this poor guy goes through all this training to, to be qualified to jump out of an airplane, and he's going to get trucked into Bastogne. Um, so they leave. They leave. Some of them leave without helmets. They leave without weapons. They leave without proper yeah. cold weather gear. Yeah. Uh, and that's where the – so the supply shortage has already occurred as they move to Bastogne, but then the siege is just going to – make that even worse for them because now you can't get the stuff in and then yeah. weather of course plays its role. So yeah. Hey, yeah. let's, why don't you take us into this first leadership lesson, Ed, and we'll just bounce back and forth uh, like we always do. All right. Let's see what we got here. Well, <clears throat> the first lesson is recognition is a two way gift. 
The 75th commemoration of the battle in Belgium was a big deal. Uh, unfortunately, I did not get to attend. <laughs> I forget why. I think COVID. I don't know. Uh, yeah. The Speaker of the House attended. Generals, ambassadors attended. But the real star of the meeting were the veterans. Mm. Frank's son, Dan, joined him on the trip and described it this way. He was treated like the hero, the rock star, the deeply respected person I've always known. It was great to see random people walk up to him and thank him and ask him for his autograph. I felt like I was with one of the Beatles. Um, and then it goes on. So there's a leadership lesson associated with it. And I think I'm stealing some thunder for later. But when they have these reunions, one of the things that I liked, and, and we went on one of our tours, we were at the barracks. Um, and they tell the story of one of the reunions. And what they did is the organization there in Belgium, they raised money and they provided all the veterans with iPads and they showed them how to use iPads to communicate with each other to really? open up that with their families. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Even the Germans who showed up because they had some Germans who they invited to this um, event and they came and they provided them with the same kind of respect and admiration of the U.S. soldiers, because at the end of the day, they still fought in that winter. Whether, you know, their belief system, if they even believe, but, you know, they had their mission and they were there to fight and to uphold their mission. And, and you'll see a lot of great stories about U.S. soldiers from those time, that generation and right meeting with Germans, their German counterparts and, and sharing, you know, sharing a beer, a glass of wine and, so that's one of the things. And it, I mean, you know, at this point where the U.S. and the allies are liberating these cities. And so that's why somebody like this comes back and they're held in such high regard. Because, I mean, maybe without the 101st, Belgians are speaking only German, you know, uh, could have been a different outcome. So yeah. that, that's yeah. kind of the key thing, Brian. So, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, you got anything to add before I get into the actual leadership lesson associated with this? Now, I, I, I'm actually fascinated uh, with that idea of you're bringing the two sides together. And, yeah. and, and it's like it, things come full circle. Right? You know, I mean, a lot of things happened th throughout the years. But the fact that individuals, men, human, uh, they they can come back together and it's no longer about a grudge. It's it, it's really I, I guarantee it was about love, loving one another again, you know, and like we we don't. What people don't understand, in a sense, a lot of times they don't they they just see us as this entity, like uh, we're you know we're the armed services, right? And, mm -hmm. and once again, I'm not speaking for the service, but the key we're war fighters. That's what we are, right? Straight up, like our primary job, um, you know. And there's if you go through and you if you want to understand like unified land operations and and understand like what our job is, uh, you know, it's it, it, there's certain things that we're supposed to do. You know, first we're supposed to prevent, prevent war as much as we mm -hmm. can, but if we can't, we need to prevail in war. Right. And, and then we also need to be able to consolidate gains. And so like, there's these elements and looking at it and then seeing this side of things, uh, from such a, uh, I guess you say historic battle, yeah, it really, it, it does. It, it makes me feel a certain way. I get like I get <laughs> just thinking about like we're getting into something. Go go for the leadership. All right, let's go for the leadership lesson. So this is important too because I've talked about before. Um, I love going to DC for Memorial Day for our Vietnam vets. It's kind of the same ideas here. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, we recognize accomplishments of others to thank them and to share examples of what success looks like. But another reason is we want to be part of their su- success too. By recognizing others, we aren't just giving them a gift. We are getting a reward too. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so, that- yeah, when you go, if you get a chance ever, Brian, to go to DC during Memorial Day weekend, yeah. that place is jam packed with Vietnam veterans. And mm-hmm. I mean, to see some of them, some of them are these burly guys, because this used to be called Rolling Thunder. I don't know if they're still calling it that, but it was like a bike yeah, rally. They are. Yeah. So these big burly guys breaking down at the wall, crying because of a friend that's names up on that wall or, but you want to recognize and you thank them for their service. And that one phrase, that one phrase mm-hmm. means so much to them. Hey, thank you for your service. I love when a Vietnam veteran thanks me for my yeah, service, yeah. because then I say, no, thank you for your service because they were yes. what they came back to. Right. So I think that's what this leadership lesson is all about is, we want to share in their accomplishments. We don't mm-hmm. want to steal it from them. We want to share in that pride of their service. Yeah. Well, hey, so Ed, one of the things you brought up, like those comments back and forth and a big one, service members, they may or may not understand this at times, but I learned this throughout the years is if a Vietnam vet says to you, welcome home, that's a big compliment, a, big deal. a huge compliment. Um, and it's important. Uh, but but I want to kind of flip this a little bit about that leadership lesson. It says recognize accomplishments of others. This falls mm-hmm. in line, Ed, with what we talked about. Praise in public, punish in private, right? Yeah, 100%. Um, and that, that praise in public piece, uh, that, falls, you know, that falls in like uh, love languages type thing. Uh, if anybody knows who Gary Chapman is. And, and if you don't, I, I recommend you look at his love language, but he also has another one about uh, appreciation in the workplace. Yeah. And that praise in public. That's a key thing as a leader. If you're understanding the soldiers within your formation, you have people who don't want that praise in public. They don't mind that you just walk up, pat them on the back and say, thank you. It's getting to know people. So that's a key thing. So uh, I would definitely say that, you know, that particular uh, leadership lesson that anyone can take at any level of leadership and just learn to praise others for the good things that they've done. Uh, And I, I love it, man. Good, good one. Yeah. So real quick, Brian, so that, you know, it's funny. The one thing I I used to struggle with uh, when we started doing this whole global war on terrorism is being thanked. When people oh, say, yeah. hey, thank you for your service. And I was yeah. like, but what's the response? Because I'm, I felt like I was just doing my job. Yeah. Uh, and then it was uh, years later, a wise NCO yeah. told me, he said, just tell them, hey, it's my pleasure. Or just give them something because that's what they want. They want that they're giving uh, you something, but they want a response too. So just give them some, Hey, you know, it's my pleasure. It's my honor to serve whatever it is. Cause I used to really struggle and they'd be like, Hey, thank you for your service. I'm like, Oh yeah. Okay. Like you yeah. don't know, you didn't know yeah, what yeah. to say. You know, I, I'm just going to work. Like yeah, my work yeah. may be Baghdad, but I'm just going to work. Um, yeah. But it is important because they want to share in that. And they, you know, that makes them feel good. So, all right, oh, Brian, we're ready. All right, we're going to go to number two. Uh, number two is be flexible. Whew. Man, if do I get yoga. T- oh, no. you. Yeah, yeah. Do, do lots of yoga. Um, lots of yoga. So, Frank was an elite paratrooper trained to enter into oh, a yeah. battle by jumping out of a plane, which I Skull will tell you. Yes. Uh, <laughs> now, um, your wife brought it up yesterday because uh, oh, we actually man. recorded we recorded 100 yesterday and then we're recording 101 today. Uh, it's, she brought up the whole idea of jumping yeah. out of a plane. 
I just wanted to remind you. Um, yeah, your wife's jumping with her, so it's fine. Uh, <laughs> but he, <laughs> but he arrived at the Battle of the Bulge in a truck. After driving many hours, the truck dropped them off on Tuesday, December nineteenth, in Bastogne, Belgium. <laughs> uh, he soon was told they were surrounded by Germans. He was glad he had not jumped because the Germans would have easily picked them off as they floated down. That's a, that's a key thing, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, because you get to think about like there are certain there are certain uh, rules of engagement that are that are posed to different sides, uh, and whether you're you know following the Geneva Convention or you know uh, this uh, rules of engagement (ROE), um, that's one of those things. Like we may have been following, right? However. Yeah. Yeah. the bad guys weren't you know and and there's there's something to be told about irregular warfare and that's one of the things we do learn here uh we talk about and i think we actually had to write it i remember we wrote a paper on irregular warfare and its effects it's it's a real threat and, and yeah. it's, it's something else um so the leadership lesson real quick ed before i get you in on this being flexible and doing you <laughs> uh don't assume your job will go exactly like your job training told you it would. Be flexible enough to apply the core lessons you learned in any environment, operational environment, all right? So understanding yeah. your operational environment, understanding that I may I may not have the skills that directly affect this environment. However, I can play upon the things I've learned throughout the years. You know, um, I talked with my buddy, uh, uh, John Bonilla um, yesterday and, we did this thing and he was talking about, and people are going to hear this next episode. It's funny how we recorded all this. It's crazy. Uh, hey, but we just made it, it happen. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And, and so being flexible, that was one of the yep. things he that uh, we kind of get into. And it's like, he showed up to an organization. He was supposed to be a Sergeant first class platoon Sergeant. Yeah. He showed up. He had to become the Sergeant first class platoon Sergeant and the company first Sergeant. So he had to do both roles. Ow. He had to be flexible. Ooh. Yeah. And he goes into this a little bit, a little bit of detail about it, Ed. And um, with it, it's like he didn't know what he was doing. He even said that. He said, I don't know. I didn't know what I was doing. I was uncomfortable, but I had to learn to become comfortable quickly. And what he Mm. did was he reached out to his peers. He reached out to his seniors. He learned from it. And then he, he said to himself, it's like, okay, what got me here? then I need to capitalize on that and continue to improve myself. And that's a key. I think that's a key fact, Ed. What do you got, man? Yeah, I mean, listening to you, it's just a team of teams, right? Those mentors are so important. Oh, I mean, yeah. And then the, the ability to be – I mean, I think we – in the military, we, we're kind of forced into the flexibility piece to some extent because I remember uh, – it, it drove my wife crazy. Uh, second deployment? No, first deployment. First deployment – be at the company, 1,800 hours. We're moving out, getting on the bus. Sorry. <laughs> Get there, weapons draw, right? Like, well, all this stuff. The family's there. Kissy, kissy. Like, this is very early in the in the, in the war uh, in Iraq. So, like, you yeah. know, the family's hanging out. Uh, start to march to the um, – oh, no, no. Then they say, okay, nope, scrub. No, nope, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> but the buses will be here in about three hours. So, hang tight. So, you hang out with your families, right? Yeah, it's so uncomfortable. Three hours later, all right, we're going to march to the gym. Let's get in formation. Say your goodbyes. Kissy, kissy, lovey, lovey. Let's get in formation. All right. Yeah. Forward, march. Rear, march. <laughs> yeah, mission's been scrubbed. You guys are leaving tomorrow morning, zero seven. 
<laughs> oh, by the way, the barracks have been sealed. Oh, by the way, everybody who lives off post has gave up their housing. So my house became a flop house, <laughs> right? Oh, wow. Yes, yeah, so my house becomes the flop house. Get up, go, get going. Everybody gets out the door the next morning, back to the company, right? Ah, mm-hmm. No, change of plans. You guys aren't going to load up buses till 12. <laughs> so we, this is just boom, 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 but the flexibility. And we talked yesterday on that episode with our spouses about Army-wise and that shit. Yeah. I don't know if it's easy to imagine if you haven't had to do it as an Army wife. But right. we're talking kissing your spouse who's going to get on a plane and go to Baghdad, right? Three uh-huh. different times in 48 hours to think that's the one, right? Like I'm going to go through my motions. I'm going to cry. I'm going to process it, mm-hmm. right? She's going to do yeah. all these things. And then, oh, hey, can you come get me? Uh, we've yeah. been released again. So that flexibility is is crucial in your personal life, in your professional life. Yeah. And here, I mean, the poor guy went through all that airborne training. But, I mean, it did work out for him, honestly. Uh, I don't know that the Germans at the time were playing uh, by the law of war. The Vermont. No. I, I oh, feel like no, they, they probably would have taken some shots. So yeah, yeah, you you are correct. You know, yeah. it's <laughs> any any means necessary. Yeah, I mean that's a that's yeah. uh that's a remarkable. I I cheers to you, my friend. Uh, that's it's a remarkable story of being flexible. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's you know it's funny. Uh, so spin off on that. I went to PLDC, PLDC primary leadership development course, which is now it changed to WLC and now BLC. Um, but my time there, uh, that was, it was something else. One of the first things they said to us, Hey, listen, you're about to become a non-commissioned officer. Be prepared for change. Oh man. It's a thing that was, (laughs) and it is, it really is. And it's, it's not to say that that's a weakness. That's not a weakness. That's not like a bad. It's it's a thing. Plans change because sometimes we don't see the elevated events that are taking place. Like your, for instance, your plane thing. Um, it could have been as far as okay, they had a, You didn't know it. Maybe they had an aircraft down that they had to get yep. fixed. You know, and and you got maintainers that are trying to do these things. And I know how it feels to be on that side. Yeah. Of. I got to get this aircraft off the ground. So there's lots of things that we don't see. All we think is we're in our own little bubble and it's like, I got to go through this again. Oh, I can't believe it. Right. But we're not thinking big picture. And that's, I guess that's something I'm taking for this year of kind of being off from leadership roles and learning more about leadership. That's a big thing. Um, Okay. Hey, you ready to give us lesson three? Yeah. We're going to ask before assuming Frank's role was, he was an assistant machine gun operator a member of a two-person team. He carried the tripod and the ammunition while his partner carried the barrel. As they marched from the truck to take a position on the periphery, his partner slipped and fell on the road. He was overloaded with too many grenades and equipment. Despite being con- uh, trained to continue when on when others fell, Frank stopped, helped him up, and took some of his load from him. When he got to his position, the second lieutenant chewed Frank out for not following his training. Frank explained himself this way. <clears throat> but sir, he had the other half of the machine gun. <laughs> he figured that if he <laughs> showed up with just the tripod, he would have been following the rules, but in a dumb way, since the barrel would have been left behind on the road. So he wouldn't be able to defend himself, right? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. this is an easy one, Brian. I mean, the leadership lesson here, Frank summed up his decision to break from his train this way. I did feel I did what I felt 
was the reasonable thing. Yeah. My take. Don't assume your folks are being unreasonable when they do something differently than the way you would do it. This goes into knowing your people. This goes into listening to your people. This mm-hmm. goes into checking your ego because, mm-hmm. honestly, what, what was he going to do with tripod? Throw rocks? Because yeah. that's all it was. He had a yeah. big metal bat, <laughs> and he could have yeah. thrown some rocks. But the meat and potatoes was back with this guy, right? And did it? How long did it take him to help the guy mm-hmm. shoulder some of his load? I mean, those things are heavy. If, if you don't know, oh, I, mean, I don't oh, know yeah. that weight back there's then. A reason, I mean, yeah, there's I mean, a reason why they split it up. Yeah, so there's a reason why they split it up. Yeah, so just he used co- what he believed to be common sense and yeah. moved out. And honestly, that lieutenant probably chewed him out, but in the back of his mind, he was thinking I would have done the same thing. So, yeah, I, I think that's important, Brian. I, you know, Ed, uh, at that, that story. And then the leadership lesson, first thing that came to mind, extreme ownership, decentralized command, absolutely extreme ownership, decentralized command, allow people to make good decisions. Um, and then talk about it later, figure it out. But I mean, obviously it's like this, this, this young LT, which it's understandable. So he was probably a, you know, I know a young LT, uh, yeah. <laughs> he, he jumped to conclusions before he actually understood the situation. And as leaders, we need to make sure we understand the situation before we automatically blow off. I had a problem with this early on uh, as a young NCO, I would I would tell you, Ed, where I didn't allow um, the situation to incubate a little bit in my brain and think about it. And yeah. instead, I would pop off sometimes. And, sometimes, and, and I, I would say 50% of the time, I was wrong, right? Uh, other times, it was just like, okay, yeah, you made a dumb move. But they need to learn from that. Right. And that's, yeah. Great, great leadership lesson there. Yeah. hundred. Yeah. It, and it is, it's, I mean, is it easy sometimes, but also if you know, what I liked about it is he wasn't afraid Mm-mm. to part from the training and use common sense, right? That fear wasn't there. It's like, you know what? I'll, I'll deal with the fallout from yeah. this. And then yep. he, he, he just said, you know, that's good enough. I mean, if you remember in Band of Brothers, in the episode about Bastone, if you remember, the lieutenant shows up mm-hmm. and he sees two medics in a foxhole. And he goes, what's this? Two medics in one foxhole? But what he doesn't know, because he just walks up, is those two medics were trying to like situate what supplies they had. Here, you take this. You give me that. You know, mm-hmm. and then the first yeah. Sergeant Lipton comes up and takes the LT to his. And of course, the LT's like, "Where's my foxhole?" And he's like, "You missed it, sir." And then the first Sergeant ushers him off. But that's another <laughs> one where he he jumped to that assumption that these two medics were in his foxhole together without knowing the full story. Yeah, that's a great point, man. Yeah. Great point. Excellent, I, Brian. What we got? We got number four. Deputies matter. Uh, <laughs> here we go. Here we go. Platoons, platoons and airborne units often had. Not one, but two second lieutenants. Oh, goodness, that's crazy. Uh, <laughs> because they were wounded or killed so often. The commanding general of the 101st had a deputy too. That was a good thing because the general of the 101st had been called back to the United States just yep. before the Battle of the Bulge started. His deputy, General Anthony McAuliffe, was left in charge. McAuliffe was such a good deputy that his name is etched in history. <laughs> and few remember the name of McAuliffe's boss. I, you know, it's funny because I, I chuckled for a moment there as I was going to, 
I I don't I don't know who McCallis Boss was. I really don't. Maxwell I Taylor. No yeah, I didn't know. I don't know <laughs> that. I just I know McAuliffe. Like I think of him as the commanding general at the time when he wasn't. He was actually the deputy. So um, oh sorry, Brian. So what's really funny is McAuliffe wasn't even the, the next in charge. There was an assistant division commander as well. Oh. Yeah, there yeah. was another guy. So Taylor is in DC talking about downsizing the size of the airborne, right? The what, other yeah. general was uh Higgins. And he was in, let me see here real quick. Boom. He was in London and they were talking about the Operation Market Garden. He was there for a lecture on that. So the call is actually number three at this point in line. Yeah. Well, he yeah. he makes himself known and he is forever history he with the 101. Does. <laughs> forever. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Um, so the leadership lesson here, carefully select and groom a deputy. And, and I want to change, I want to interchange the word deputy real quick with a replacement. Okay. Just think of it as who's your replacement. Yep. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to hit upon that in a moment. Uh, everybody eventually has to hand over the reins at some point, expectedly or unexpectedly. Hey, leaders, if you're not working on training people to take your job, then you're missing the mark. Yeah, your job absolutely. is to train them to take your spot and to move on and I out of the way. Um, it's this something that you and I, Ed, we've talked about multiple times and we we feel strongly about is this whole idea of we are not staying in the army forever. We can only stay in for so long. Uh, somebody <laughs> has to take my spot. Yeah. And I think we had this conversation just before, and we're not going to get into the details of that conversation because I think it's kind of tipping on some edges we shouldn't because it's our own personal opinions. Um, yeah. However, there's when you when you take on a leadership role at a senior non-commissioned officer level, and I, I really believe this. I really believe this as a sergeant first class, master sergeant first sergeant, sergeant major, command sergeant major. I think when you're in those those realm, you literally have to look at what am I doing to help this next generation strengthen, you know, strengthen yeah. up and be, take over for me. It's no, it can no longer be about you whatsoever. Like you're going to reap you you if you're doing a good enough job you're going to reap the benefits of it but it's about doing that job and part of that job is selecting the right people to take over it doesn't matter what gender you are it doesn't matter what race or ethnicity they are it doesn't matter uh where where they came from what matters is do they have the talents or do they have what is uh the potential to take over and are you doing your job to help them that i mean that's what i get from ed what you got brother no i mean we we've talked about and, and the one thing that i would pass on to you brian as you go to the great place is you will go <laughs> to the national training center i can almost guarantee it oh stop and, please. and as a senior leader one of the things that i would emphasize is they're going to take out those key leaders and see what that next person can do right and the reason they do this because that can happen in combat yeah. so that's one of the things i would give you as a lesson learned from the national training center is believe me that csm <laughs> that csm might get wiped out and they may be like okay ops are major you're the dude now yeah. or that squad leader and they'll be hey specialist smugatelli you're in charge make mm -hmm. a decision so well, yeah it is it's important to to you know, and that that's in a training environment. But what about in the real world? I mean, it's crazy to think that 
you know, you could all of a sudden, like I said, McCall's third in charge. And then oh, here yeah. he is. Now he's the man. And, yeah. and, and then the next lesson we talk about something he's confronted with where he would have never thought that was going to happen because he wouldn't have thought he was going to be the man to make those type of decisions. Hey, that that was a great point. Ed. Uh, I I truly I truly I get really really passionate about yeah. those those ideas of grooming others. Uh, so we're moving on to number five. Oh though. boy, <laughs> I'm glad I, I got know, this one. I know you did. I get this one. I, yeah, yeah. I, I hope you did. You got deputies matter. Yeah, yeah. I'm going yeah. off script. I got this one. <laughs> um, <laughs> so number five, Brian, and I mean this. You know that old saying, "Beat a dead horse." This is our dead horse. Because uh, we have beat this thing over and over, but it's because it's so important that we do this. Oh, communication, yeah. communication. Yes. We even talked about yesterday with the wise. I mean, communication. Uh, yep. Communication is critical. So let's talk about it. So on the morning of December 22nd, uh, some soldiers out in their in their um, position noticed some G- Germans approaching. Four Germans, two NCOs, a major, and a captain, and it, it, they've got a white flag. Uh, so they stop them. Um, you know, the captain in the group spoke English, and he says, "Hey, we we would like to see the American commander," and they have this note, right? <laughs> so. Um, so the major spoke to him. He says, Hey, we want to see your commanding officer. So they blindfold him. They take him to the company, uh, commander first. Mm-hmm. So the company commander gets the, the letter from the German commander. And immediately, like next thing you know, they're going to see general McAuliffe. They got to go to division with the letter. And so I am using as my reference today, Brian, the history of the 101st airborne divisions, the screaming Eagles first 50 years by Colonel Robert Jones. Uh, got this at the museum on Fort Campbell a couple years back, and it has really been excellent for papers and stuff. Oh, I wouldn't so, doubt it. So they get there, and there's Colonel Ned Moore is there with McAuliffe. He's the acting uh, chief of staff, and the chief of staff reads the message, and it says, in exaggerated phrasing, it told of how the Germans had Bastogne encircled. All that was left for the Americans, it said, was the honorable surrender of the encircled town. The last two paragraphs of the note read, if this proposal should be rejected, one German artillery corps and six heavy um, battalions are ready to annihilate the U.S. troops in or near Bastogne. Annihilate them. So, all right. Um, also, all the serious civilian losses caused by the artillery fire would not correspond with the well-known American humanity. The signature at the bottom was simply the German commander. So it was discovered later that this was Lieutenant General Heinrich von Luflitz, uh-huh. uh, the commander of the 47th Panzer Group. Um, so then McAuliffe says to the, to the chief of staff, well, what's it say? And it says, well, they want your surrender, he answers. And McAuliffe's immediate response was, oh, nuts. Right? <laughs> so now McAuliffe is going to sit down and he decides to pen his, his response. And he's sitting there and he says, uh, you know, I I, well, I don't know what to tell them. So he he asked the staff, you know, gathered around him, and Colonel Kennard, who is his G three, right, said, spoke first. And he says the remark of your yours would be hard to beat. The first remark of yours would be hard to beat. And McCall's like, well, what was that? And he said, you said nuts. 
And so that's what McAuliffe writes. He writes nuts. And so they so they, they go back and they get the Germans and, and they're gonna take them, you know, and and uh, Colonel Harper, who's also part of staff, says, I'll deliver it myself. So he goes out uh, and it says, I have the American commander's reply. The captain asked whether it was written or verbal. Harper said, oh, it's written. And he handed it to him. <laughs> the message was translated. The major asked, is the reply negative or affirmative? Uh, if it's the latter, I will negotiate further. So if you're going to surrender. Uh, and the colonel says, the reply is decidedly not affirmative. If you continue this foolish attack, your losses will be tremendous. And so he basically says, just so you understand what we mean by nuts, we're basically saying, go to hell, and I will tell you something else. So now, so, so this is the message, right? Nuts. Yeah. But then what McAuliffe does is he has the terms of surrender, the request for yeah. surrender, and his response. He has it drafted out, and he, he circulates it to the troops. Which yeah. was a common thing. There's a lot of letters from Patton, from Eisen. I mean, Eisenhower sent letters to everybody from D-Day. Yeah. So it's it's a normal thing. They had this big copier that they carried around with them, uh, type machine. Yeah. But then what's that do for morale? That like our general is so defiant against these odds. Like, so what it does, it makes them want to fight more. But he communicated mm-hmm. that through this this medium. So it kind of shows. I mean, the nuts thing is, Brian, you know, like I do. That is absolutely like one of the most historic moments in the 101st history. Uh, yep. It's what puts McAuliffe on the map. Yeah, in I the can town do. square yeah. in Belgium. Oh, yeah. There <laughs> is a restaurant in Bastogne, and it is called Le Nuts. And you go in there, and you can have an airborne beer served to you in a, uh, a helmet, an airborne helmet. But you can have airborne beer served to you in an airborne helmet that says Battle of the Bulge at Le Nuts, about 100 meters from a Sherman tank. <laughs> it's just crazy. So, yeah. Communication, Brian, it's critical. I will tell you, it's funny, that message. <clears throat> that message <laughs> echoes so much um, yeah. that I guarantee you, any soldier that ever attends a promotion board or a soldier month board, they will get asked who... <laughs> said nuts during the Battle of Bulge, and they'll have to answer. Or what did General? What was General McAuliffe's uh, yeah. reply to the Germans? And <laughs> it's it's the easiest answer. And uh, it's yeah, you're right. Just it's one echoed. word. He replied one word. <laughs> but you know what we can take from this, Ed? Like this, we've over we've we beat that Ed horse just like you said. Uh, the communication piece. It's that one word. N-U-T-S, and that's it. That one word echoed so many things to so many people, uh, mm-hmm. whether it be the vision uh, of, of that organization at the time, it would be the morale booster, it's the the go-get, you know, it's all these things. It just took one thing. And yeah. what happened, you know, what was the result from this battle? We know, yeah. you know, uh, yet, yes, yes, did Patton come show up, you know, there and, and help out? Absolutely. Um, however, well, for yeah. them to hold their own, for them to hold their own in that particular <laughs> battle. And what was I reading? I was reading it somewhere, uh, in the, you know, it, it was about the scene in the band of the brothers and it's almost like you only get a small glimpse. Like you see, like your, your view is only that of that one little organization of the whole division. Mm-hmm. You, um, and and somebody had said uh, during this in this article that I read that uh, you don't 
you don't understand like that was a whole div that was one company of yeah. a whole division oh, no. of yeah. people going through this battle and it was big it was real big um yeah. so to communicate uh it, that's that's critical for any leader communicate yeah. when you stop communicating you stop being transparent when you stop being transparent it's time to go you know yeah so it, it, absolutely brian and, and it was it was such a big it was about four or five different like smaller engagements that made up the bulge because the u.s mm -hmm. had lines on all sides of the compass right like yeah. i mean the 82nd had a role at one point you know, yeah. uh, Bernard Montgomery, but we don't, they don't talk about that in Band of Brothers. They talk about mm -hmm. the 506 and Dick Winters, mm -hmm. who also they show many times another horse that we've beaten up pretty bad. He, he is going foxhole to foxhole. He's checking on his men. He's checking on what their staff, how much ammo do you got? How much yeah. do you have any morphine? Like he is moving the whole time too. And that's that walk around leadership that we've talked about, but it's also that communication checking on yes. my men, right? So. Yes. Yes, absolutely, man. Hey, great point. Great yeah. point. All right. So we got two more leadership lessons. Yeah. Um, number six, secrecy is sometimes important too. So we have communication, but we also need some secrecy sometimes. Yeah. Uh, when I asked Frank how his uh, position fit into the bigger picture of the defense of Bastogne, he replied this way. I have to admit, I didn't know much else was going on. And and we weren't supposed to keep a diary. Mm. Uh, they didn't want us to know anything. If we were captured, they didn't want us to know beans. We had very <laughs> little information. <laughs> they didn't want us to know beans. That's so like it's so typical of the era, like using yeah. the like, didn't want us to know a hill of beans. <laughs> you know? Um the first time Frank saw where his unit was dug in during the battle when years later was years later uh, when he read a book about the battle. So he literally didn't even understand where he was in the situation until years later. Now, yeah. he obviously, so the communicate, the communication of nuts got out to them. Hey, we got to keep fighting on. We got this. You guys are stronger than them. Yeah. All that. that was there. But it was the idea of also, hey, we have to make sure that we're we're basically playing this massive chess game, right? We have to. Uh, we. I'm gonna continue on, and then I'll, I'll hit my point there. All right. Um, he also shared another example of when being secret was helpful. A German armored vehicle drove up to us, <laughs> not a tank, but something smaller that was prob uh, probing. Uh, our orders were to stay quiet and not shoot. Don't let them know we're, uh, what we have up here. Only one person fired a bazooka. But <laughs> the armored vehicle turned around and sensing a trap or something. So we didn't have a firefight. I mean, we could look at it this way. The, if they didn't keep quiet, that could have turned into an even more treacherous situation yeah. you know, um, in the longer haul of the battle. Uh, it's just, but it's, it's that understanding like, as a leader, like knowing what to keep to yourself, what not to keep to yourself, that, that is a critical point. Um, and it, whether it be a civilian organization, military, whatever community organization, it doesn't matter. Um, sometimes information just needs to be withheld because you would, what you don't want is you don't want to create assumptions. You don't want to create, uh, you don't want to fuel the, uh, rumors. the rumors. Thank you very much. However, you also got to be able to let out certain informations to quell the rumors, to stop the rumors from 
getting yeah. too much and creating a cancerous uh, toxicity within the organization. So it's like a fine, it's a really fine line you have to walk as a leader of knowing when you can put out information when you can't. And it's funny. I think to me, this is a big part for informal leaders, you know, and, and having the support of those informal leaders to help keep the organization straight. Right. Uh, so what, what, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, the, oh, wait, I didn't even get to the, uh, the leadership lesson. Communication is important, but not everybody needs to know everything. Yeah. No. So, you know, when you talk about the secrecy, I mean, listen, Brian, at this point, these guys are running low on supplies. I don't know if I'm General McAuliffe. Do I want them to know that my, I'm telling my artillery guys, hey, you can only shoot 10 rounds a day. Do I want them to know what the real situation, how dire our situation really is? Hey, there's no more morphine. Yeah. I mean, they at some points, they were starting to run out of small arms rounds, and they yep. had to start rationing that stuff. So if I'm at the top, maybe that's something I don't want down to the lowest level because I don't want to, you know, dishearten them. I don't want to take away their will to fight. You know, it's coming. I mean, obviously they may have known, uh, they knew the weather was bad. They knew airdrops weren't happening. Yeah. Um, when you watch the episode on, on uh band of brothers, they talk about like, yeah, like the fog wouldn't lift. And when they did drop stuff, they dropped it to the Germans. Uh, it took a while. So I mean, yeah, they eventually absolutely. do get that. So those are the type of things maybe they didn't want to know. And, and so you do have to realize like, yeah, I want to share as much as we can. We talked about back with Kevin Krause about, you know, share everything. Mm -hmm. I think back even in that episode, when we talked about that, we said, ah, yeah, I don't know if I'm a hundred percent on board with that though. You know, he was talking about sharing salaries and stuff. Maybe you got to really, and I think that comes from your experience. I think that comes from your leadership. I think mm -hmm. it just comes from the situational awareness. Yeah, I can share these, but I should probably hold this closer to my chest right now. You know, it's you, you, what you just said that that experience in leadership, like that literally reminds me of something called the art and science of leadership. Yeah, like it is there's an, an art. art to it, and it's there's a science. percent it's an art. Yeah. And you have to know where to use the art or the science. So yeah, a great point, bro. Hey, we're on our last one. And oh, I, I like this one because it, it plays near and dear to my heart, especially in the aviation community because of how dire it is. It plays near and dear to mine. Cause I've also been involved in a similar situation. Uh, Frank shared yeah. the following story. So number seven is safety first, always, safety. always safety first. So Frank shared this story from his soldier days. I tried to do some leadership myself. When we traveled in the trucks, I always made sure there was no bullets in the cartridge and the safety was on. A tragic episode took place in a truck I was in. All of a sudden, I heard a bang. One soldier had a bullet in the chamber and didn't have the safety on. A rifle cleaning tool he had on him caught the trigger. The bullet went through several soldiers. The soldiers who gunned went off, was lying closer to the back of the truck than I was. Otherwise, I would have been one of the victims. We had to take them out of the truck. One of the soldiers I helped said, I made it through Normandy. I made it through Holland. I made it through Bastogne, and I get wounded like this. Um, so similar, not as tragic, obviously, but I was going on R&R, first R&R ever in Iraq. I don't know if you remember the old hunter boxes. That yeah. was the yeah. They had the back of the truck with the steel. And yep. so we get to the airport 
uh, uh, Baghdad International Airport, and we're clearing our weapons, right? So we're getting down or we're handing our weapons down. Uh, Soldier does not hand her weapon down. She decides she's going to lock and clear it in the truck. The round goes off, hits that steel, deflects into my battle buddy's calf. Oh. Yeah. So he is, at first, it's like just a little bit of blood. It's like, oh, it must have just nicked you. But I'm telling you, once he moved, it just flowed. And so, yeah, yeah, it's not tragic like this, which Mm -hmm. I'm so thankful for. Uh, But for him, you know, it's just that safety, like just hand it down. We, We weren't even dismounting the vehicle. They had somebody down there. They were like, here's what you do. Do the right thing. Hand it down. One person doesn't hand it down. And what ends up happening is, he can't fly because he just got shot. We got to get him to the aid station. So everybody's delayed for their flights. He's thinking about going home and seeing his family. Again, this is 0405. So this is very early in our experiences as a combat force, right? Like it's the first time some of us have been mm-hmm. over there. Um, and, you know, all these, there's this ripple that comes from just safety first. I mean, I don't even know what the leadership lesson says here, but. I mean, <laughs> you're going to give your own. Well, I mean, I know safety first, yeah. right? But yeah. Like, yeah, so yeah, what yeah. they say, and he gives another example of this, but job number one in any workplace is safety and leaders are responsible for ensuring the workplace workspace is safe. That's Absolutely. not true. That's not true. Uh, uh, true. I know what you're going to go with this, <laughs> but it's not hundred percent true. Everybody no. is a yes. safety, Brian. Yes. <laughs> Everybody yes. is responsible for not just the lead. This makes it seem like just the leaders. So a little disagreement, but not wrong, but incomplete. So that's a yeah. better way of saying yeah. it. Uh, yeah. It may, may not be as glamorous as the other parts of the job, but it is uh, table stakes to do all the rest. From my COO days, I remember beefing up our secure physical security force as a thankless decision that we made that helped me sleep better. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to tell you, I, I ain't going to say what organization, but I have family members that work for an organization. And I'm telling you, if you get called on camera and you're not using the handrail, you'll be looking for a new job. Like, really? Yeah. If you get caught because it's a compound, wow. if you don't use the crosswalk, you'll need yeah. a new job. No, it's that, on a compound. Wow. Yes. Because safety, for, because look, think about the dollars that cost the organization, right? Yeah. Like, you don't cross the crosswalk, somebody doesn't see you get hit, you're out of work. Right. Mm-hmm. Maybe that person's out of work. Maybe they work for the company too. Where's the lawsuit fall? Cause that could be coming. So yeah. that you cost the company money. I mean, we're not even talking military now. We're talking civilian. Just yeah. even here, I am very big on cross at the crosswalk. Just especially <laughs> I hate when you see somebody cross the street and then there's a crosswalk 15 feet up. Like just go to the right. cross, go to the crosswalk. Because in Europe, I'm going to tell you, if you don't stop for somebody in a crosswalk, you, you're going to mess around and get a ticket, a big ticket. Uh, yeah. It's a big, 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 big deal here. And yeah. actually in Rome, sorry, side note, in Rome, if you go like this, the cars will stop and let you cross. <laughs> it's wow. It's the only place I've seen it work. But yeah, so safety first, very important, Brian. What do you think? What do you think? It is your command star, Major Brian. Stop. <laughs> no, it it is is probably up there. It's yeah. right up there beside what I said earlier about training those to take over for you. Um, we've said this on the show before, Ed, if about like talking like to the mm-hmm. groups and talking to people, if you're saying it, 
so much that you think you're saying it too much, you're not saying it enough. Right. Mm. And that's, that's how safety is. The way safety can be echoed um, is I've seen it. I've seen where people are working at a, a high rate of speed and they're ignoring, you know, safety precautions. I talk about it with, uh, with John. Um, I seen twice, same incident. One was a civilian who did it. Another one was a soldier. Both people who knew better on performing a specific task where if your finger gets too close to a specific fan in a helicopter, you will it will suck your hand in and it will cut off whatever gets in that fan because it's oh. moving so fast, right? Yeah. Um, both of them, in, in both instances, both people, um, they lost just a small, like the small very tip of their, like it was so Still. fast. Still. It, exactly, right? Um, but it's it's echoing that safety. It's it's there's a, like I used to tell uh, I've told soldiers before. Um, there's a reason why there's a caution and a note or any something else in a manual, you know, and and that yeah. can go anywhere else. There's a reason why it's there. Why is it there? Because something has happened. Yep, somebody's Let's, done it. McDonald's cups. Yeah, this is hot. You're gonna get oh. burnt. Yeah. You know, I mean, Somebody, there's a reason. Yeah. yeah. So, so, you know, as a leader, you know, f- you know, echoing that safety precaution, echoing yeah. the fact that, Hey, you got to unload that chamber before you get in the vehicle. I got it. You know what? You may, maybe you're trying to save time in case you get attacked while you're in the vehicle. I'm telling you right now, you're going to be so sporadic. You're not going to notice anyways. You're probably going to shoot your friend straight up. Yeah. Especially in the back of those trucks where you couldn't see out at the time. Um, yeah. now, we changed things over the years, and now we—I mean, man, the systems we got now, golly! Yeah. Um, but safety, safety is critical, and you're correct, Ed. It's not just the leader's job. No. However, and any manual I've looked at, Ed, any manual, one key thing that always says the commander's responsibility doesn't say ultimately. Ed's yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't say the soldier's responsibility. It doesn't say the first sergeant or the command sergeant. It says the commander's responsibility and almost everything. And normally that's tied to some type of decision point. And, yeah. you know, and, and I will tell you, I've met multiple people that they will, they will tie their decisions very close knit to safety. All right. And yeah. it, sometimes you can play it for it's, your, your game. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm gonna tell you, Brian. In my career, one of the scariest things that we do. I, the range. I am scared. At, I'm not scared, but I'm very hyper vigilant. Yeah. At a range. Yeah. yeah because yeah. it it does. It's not going to be you. Like I'm the safety. It could be that guy six yeah. lanes down who does the yeah. wrong thing. And so you're always. That's the one thing in the military my entire career, especially since I've become a non-commissioned officer where you spend hours on the range as a safety or a coach. It is scary when you think about like one person not paying attention. That same female, right, that does the shoots the hunter box. What if that was on the range? That could have came right down the line and hit everybody between her and who knows. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is a scary thing. And, and I mean, Obviously, we get you know grenade ranges are even worse. Um, <laughs> yeah, hey, oh. I you know I would I would I would love to be on the uh, fly on the wall for <laughs> drill sergeants uh, of of any basic training that has to go through that. You know because there are I, I guarantee you they have their scary situations and they I would almost 
I would love to hear to some from of our friends that have uh, served in that position. I never, I was never fortunate enough uh, to. Uh, oh, Brian, but, funny you mentioned that. <laughs> yeah, go so, ahead. So we ran a live grenade range at Fort Drum when Joe was my platoon sergeant. Oh, uh, Joe Leon. Yeah, he was my platoon sergeant, and so the soldier they had me out there as a safety because you had to be E five promotable. I think it was their rule, yeah. right? Right. And this soldier threw this grenade and stayed up and didn't, you Stood know, standing? so for the listeners, they tell you, pull the pin, boom, throw it, get down. No, no. This soldier wanted to see where they throw it. And oh, by the way, this soldier was no, like this wasn't Cal Ripken Jr. Throwing this thing. Like this thing only went about six feet. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> so I grabbed the soldier by the back of their helmet. Right. And I ripped their helmet and, pushed their face into the sand and then I jumped on top of them and (laughs) you could feel the bunker shake and the soldier says I just want to see where it went sorry I said if you don't get out my face right now I thought I had to come off I I said hey I gotta come off that range for a few minutes man I gotta get myself together (laughs) yeah 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 he threw I mean he threw that thing and just oh my goodness (laughs) However, yeah, 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 yeah. I feel yeah. good to grab by that helmet and flop on top of him. <laughs> you were hey, living your WWA dream. I mean, we worked, <laughs> we worked with somebody, and they used to say the one thing I took away from them. I mean, yeah. you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, my friend. That's yeah. wow. That's uh, I. That's the first time I've heard that story, man. I've yeah. never heard that before from you. But that's I could see why you were so. Like, oh. like you had your moment and you yeah. know what you like, there are times where people shouldn't go off. Like, I truly believe that was your moment and you were allowed to have that. And that was a righteous moment. It was, it was fun. <laughs> he came, <laughs> get the poor soldier came up. He just caked in yeah. sand. Like, yeah. <laughs> he's like, I just wanted to see it, sir. Yeah. Oh, get man. away from me right now. <laughs> yeah, I could tell. Yeah. So this oh, was uh, this was something else, man. Hundred uh, first. That's one. That's our thing. One hundred one episode. One hundred one. Yeah, uh, I thought it was a good idea. It was a play on the episode number that yeah, we came up but, with. But we are both hundred first guys. We've both yeah. been to combat with hundred first. Yeah. So many times. Yeah, and then uh, yeah, I'm going to Bastogne actually on Saturday this week. If my homework's done, I get to go to Bastogne. Uh, if, if your if your homework's done, yeah, yeah. The museum's yeah, been closed for two weeks for their like yearly cleaning so we're going afterwards they have a huge museum there they used to have a huge 100 foot ve day statue the sailor kissing the the lady oh so they yeah, yeah yeah yeah. they moved it but before they moved it tammy and i were there and she got her picture because that's one of her favorite images from world war ii oh yeah yeah the and, homecoming. Uh, so we did get a picture with with that but yeah no we're gonna go check it out this weekend i think they uh yeah yeah it'll be a good time <laughs> Awesome man! And hey, I wish you the best. Nuts. Ah, <laughs> uh, you make, take pictures. Yeah, <laughs> shoot me, shoot me in pictures. Uh, yeah, hey, no, really, seriously. Um, like we do a lot. Of, we've done we've done a few history leadership lessons yeah. so far, and to me, I enjoy the other ones. Like no joke, I really do because I love talking about Washington. I love talking. About, I love talking about the Gettysburg thing. But <laughs> this one, and we actually skipped over one. We skipped over World War One. We'll probably have to go back and handle that one. Oof. However, there was a reason why this one was done. And this, this one, I mean, I, listeners, if you've never watched Band of Brothers, watch it. 
if you if you have go watch it again and learn yeah. something from it there's a lot to learn from it yeah. and there's a lot to be gained uh and if you're a soldier out there and you haven't watched it you need to all right especially uh, if and you know you're going to 101st <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. yeah you, you might as well <laughs> yeah you might as well um and you know and there's there's many others out there like the pacific and you know there's lots of different ones um but this was a great leadership lesson ed uh that i think people really could take on as their own yeah. and, and, and maybe even develop some stuff into it as their own. Um, but as always, Ed, we are coming to the end of this particular episode. And because every episode, oh, <laughs> I know, I know it's kind of sad. We don't want to end this. Um, <laughs> you know, if we could get 101, one hour and one minute, but we passed that oh, like yeah, 16 minutes that. ago. <laughs> um, so if people wanted to, you know, kind of connect with us, they wanted to maybe tell us what they thought about these leadership lessons, offer up some different ones from the same Battle of the Bulge, um, or just, you know, let us know their thought about the show. Is there, James, is there a way, James, yeah. <laughs> you like how I did that, uh, yeah. that they can connect with us uh, individually or as a group? Well, you know, Brian, I'm glad you asked. So what the listeners can do is they can go out there and they can go to their favorite type of social media. They can look for one-on-one influence and they will find us, Brian. They will find us on Facebook. It's a closed Facebook page, but do not threat. All you have to do, answer a couple of questions. Once you've answered those questions, one of our dedicated staff <laughs> will, will be sure to grant you access and then interact yeah. get in there start a chat start a start a group chat get something going uh and then of course brian now if they want to see us they can go to our instinctive influencers youtube page subscribe thumbs up and then leave some comments some kind of commentary get something started get a discussion going so they can check us out on the <laughs> All those various uh, social media one-on-one influence, Brian. And yeah. uh, notice 101. I'm just saying. Uh, I was going to say it. I was going to say it. 101. <laughs> yeah. So for those of you listening, um, it, you may have realized it a while ago, or you may just now realize it. The whole, like the search function or the at whatever, like whenever you go into these social medias, you have to create your own handle. And I, I wanted a good play on the whole word influence when we came up with this. And I thought to myself, it's like, well, what influenced us to actually develop this show, to uh, to make it what it is? We were serving in the 101. We were a part of uh, the, well, it's not called the 101st uh, Basic Leader Course. It's actually called the John W. Crickle Basic Leader Course uh, at the 101st. Uh, but it is a play on the word. It's a play on the number. Yeah. Um, and, and we were influenced while we were there. So why not keep it at that? Uh, but yeah, great, great point. I can't wait. I can't wait to see what people have to say about this one. And I'm excited about the next show, uh, one Oh two with John Bonilla. And we're doing, and I'm going to talk about with him. We're gonna have a discussion on, uh, learning to be comfortable with the uncomfortable. Then Ooh, down the road, Ed, that's a good one. Yeah, it's fun. It's it was fun, uh, and then down the road, Ed, uh, we've got so we've got multiple battles, our multiple other uh, wars. We we, we got to go back and hit World War One. We definitely want to hit on Vietnam War because that's a big thing, um, and we we're, we're going to hit upon the Korean War also between those two at some point. Um, and you know, Desert Storm, Desert Shield, then the the most recent ones that took over t- almost twenty years of of fighting, uh, and countless hours and manpower and stuff. Uh, so the global war on terrorism peace, we're going to hit on all these. Um, but in yeah. there, I, 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 
you know, I sent you a, a link to some stuff. Um, we're going to hit upon some more leadership stuff and we're going to hit, we're going to get more guests. You're talking to me. You yeah. were just talking to me about I getting a certain get guest back. on. When I get back, to, I, when I get back to Kentucky, Tennessee area, I know there's a few that we can line up then. So oh, yes. that I'd be, Oh yeah. It's um. so it's funny. Uh, it, it just kind of before, before we go off, uh, Michelle and I were talking about that. It's, it's we're actually going to be in the same time zone again. So that's going to be great. That's yeah, going to be, that's going to be, be a good. plus. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then being in that same time zone, and if we're setting up our interviews, like we'll we'll both be able to participate in this, and, and yeah. that's what makes it easy. What a lot of people don't realize is like we're doing these interviews. If if you're doing one or I'm doing one right now, it's like we're so far apart in time. Oh it's, man, it's hard to coordinate that. You know, yeah. I'm I'm it. It's nine o'clock in the morning here for me. Over there for you, it's what like seven six. Uh, right now it's five a.m. or five a.m. five p.m. Five p.m. Yeah. 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 So, um, but anyway, Ed, it was fun. I've enjoyed it. Uh, so like I do have always. one side note, Brian, I did want to mention because I know we are going to do an episode on Vietnam. Uh, yes. But also a participant during the Battle of the Bulge, one of the lieutenant colonels was Crichton W. Abrams. Oh. And Crichton <laughs> W. Abrams is going to be significant during um during uh mm -hmm. vietnam and then yes. i've also served under one of his sons um and then uh, you know that whole family in the tank is maybe named after him pretty sure i think so yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> i've also i've also served underneath one of them too yeah we yeah, affectionately was, actually used to call him when he was our brigade commander son of tank so <laughs> not to his face of, of course <laughs> no, 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 no. He's he. Um, yeah. So he is something else. He's all he's all over Twitter, and I love like following his and seeing all yeah. this. So he actually, I think he's retired now. Actually, he's yeah. retired now. Well, there was a group of them. So there was, I think, there was two or three Abrams brothers. Mm -hmm. I want to say there was a sister too. Yeah, I don't know about and the sister. I do know the brothers though. They were, and they were all military, and I think they were all GOs at some point. Yeah, he's so. he's um he's actually the last of the brothers. That's yeah. still alive. Yeah, yep. he was so. my he was my brigade commander in uh, the mighty first cavalry division. Oh, oh wow! Battle I can't of wait Fallujah. He was the brigade commander for Battle of Fallujahs. Both of them. Yeah, I can't wait. To, I can't wait to get into that. That's gonna yeah. be a good one. All right, man. Well, sweet. <laughs> oh, that was wrong button. <laughs> wrong button. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> my bad. I didn't mean to do that one there, everyone. Um, but hey. Again, we're so grateful for all of you and listening. With that, I am Brian. And I am James. <laughs> he is James. And this has been the Instinctive Influencers Podcast. We thank you so much for listening. Leadership Lessons. You can find them everywhere.